This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. All it took was a man with a rented truck and fake firearms to perpetrate the worst terror attack in New York City since 9-11. Eight people are dead, including five Argentinians and one Belgian national. Nearly a dozen are injured. The attacker is identified as 29-year-old Saifala Saipov, who came to the U.S. legally from Uzbekistan in 2010. And here is some of the latest information we have on this. According to the governor, Andrew Cuomo, he was radicalized in the U.S. He has a wife and three children in Patterson, New Jersey. His home has been searched. He's been an Uber driver for about six months. There's no evidence yet of associations or a continuing plot. And according to the governor, at least at this point, it looks like an isolated incident. Uh, with all of that, of course, we want to hear from you about this. What do you make of this? Yet another attack using a vehicle as the weapon. Pretty easy for anyone to get. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And with that, we turn to Ross McLean, security and terrorism expert. Thanks for joining us, Ross. Good to be here, Libby. So what have you got on this? Well, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I think we're going to learn and the authorities are going to learn a lot from this case uh, because we have the person still alive. He was shot out of surgery. They have him. They have his devices. They have some idea of the places he's been and where he's traveled. So I think they're going to be able to uncover a little bit of what is being called now a virtual caliphate as opposed to a physical caliphate, which they're losing over in the Middle East with the fight going on. So I think you're going to see intelligence resources uh, working very hard to nail down the network that helps to allow this radicalization to take place. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're operating on the assumption that there there is a network, um, but I guess uh, what they're trying to nail down is is it a virtual network on the internet, or are there actual um, people or cells or something in the United States? Well, with with. If you look at uh, anecdotally uh, just a bunch of these terrorist attacks that have taken place, you've certainly seen that it's been done uh, through the Internet. Uh, where they show them videos, they talk to them, someone can radicalize them through the Internet. We've seen it done even here in Canada, where another person becomes involved and helps to radicalize that person, lead them into the stuff. They get them converted uh, to where they want to act with it. And I think you're going to find in this particular case, uh, the, all the indications to me are that he went through a radicalization process to get to where he was. I mean, he was very proud of the fact that he planned this attack, that he is, it's related to ISIS. There was a note found in a bag in the car that uh, he's pledging to ISIS as well as an ISIS flag. Uh, my understanding is, uh, Libby, they found ISIS propaganda reading material that he had on his cell phone. Uh, and, of course, when he 
the place that he attacked is New York City. He didn't do it in Ohio or Florida or any one of the other states that was in between. That's a high-value, sort of high-status target that uh, ISIS typically goes after. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so he rented a truck about an hour before the attack, and, and he plowed down a bike lane. Yeah, it's really something else to see that bike lane for people who go online and look at the pictures of it. I mean, it basically it runs around the outside of Manhattan, lower Manhattan, it appears, and it's there, and people, bikes go both ways on it, people run on it, all sorts of things, all sorts of people are over that. It goes past daycares and tennis schools and high schools, and it goes past everything, and he just went down there indiscriminately and managed to kill eight people and uh, wound uh, at least 11 others that we know right, of. Right, right. Um, and um, we learned that he has uh, a wife and three children in Patterson, New Jersey. What do you make of that? Well, one of the things that I look at, and whenever I speak about these things, of course, I used to be in law enforcement uh, quite a while ago, but I speak of it as an investigator. Police aren't able to say a lot. They only say what they can confirm and what they want to put out, and they've got bosses. But I just tell people what I read on it. And one of the things I read on this that I find interesting is since he came over here after winning his diversity lottery, it was called, that allowed him to win a green card uh, to come from Uzbekistan to come to the U.S., since he arrived, he was able to find himself a a wife who was uh, from his home country, apparently, a fellow Uzbekistanian. Uzbek. Uzbek. You'll help, you'll help me with the names. Yes, my my yes. pronunciation isn't as good as yours uh, for doing that. But uh, got married to her in March of 2013, then rapidly, it seems, had three young children that are still about. But the thing that I've noticed in a lot of these attacks we've seen in the Orlando attack and the San Bernardino attack and in different ones, you have a wife or a girlfriend that's involved uh, with the male that's part of the radicalization. You know, we had in the the Pulse attack in Florida, the wife drove him to the club. We had the San Bernardino attack. She took part in the shoot-em-up with with the person at that time. So here he has a young 19-year-old wife that somehow he got to meet and move around to different states, have these young children, and was happy enough to go off and try and die while doing a martyrdom attack on New York, despite having this wife and young children. Well, yeah, the... The amount that he moved around also is interesting to me because you think of somebody who is an immigrant probably not making a lot of money and and, uh, he was in Tampa, he's in New Jersey, he was in Ohio. Open two businesses in Ohio, apparently, that he that he tried to have run. Uh, there's one person in the interview who said there was a friend of his, another person from that part of the world who he liked. Uh, there's reports that he went to the local mosque uh, that, that's in uh, New Jersey, and that mosque was under surveillance, uh, at least in the past, by the NYPD. Um, and there's questions about that in the network because, of, of course, Mayor Bill de Blasio stopped the NYPD from doing surveillances on the mosques. Uh, from doing that. So there's going to be some questions about that, I'm sure, that are going to come up. Because that's where I think you're going to see this fight going for uh, North America and the UK. They're going to start going after the network, the people who are online, the people who are radicalizing, the the mosques that are aiding and abetting in this. Because you see the conversion of these people uh, as well over to the radical uh, Islam for doing it before they carry these attack outs. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of the people who do that, they're, they're, they would be in a different country. Uh, sorry, what do you mean by that? I mean th- that if, if the person, the radicalizing agent is not in the United States, how do you 
go after it. I mean, well, the U.S. has ways of going after and finding people in other states if they're involved in crimes of terror. They're here and they're part of the conspiracy. But I think I'll also suggest that you'll find that there are people here that are on the ground doing the radicalizing here, who are helping to equip these people sometimes and uh, instruct them on how to do these attacks. Like as you pointed out earlier, this attack was on a bike lane. Not that different because you can't really get away from it, like the London Bridge attacks and 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 the Nice attacks. They go down these alleys where people can't yeah. really get away, right? And they can just run them. Down. And that's what was planned in this particular case. So it all adds up to he was following the ISIS instructions for doing the attacks, renting the vehicle, biggest vehicle as you can, running it over. And like I said, to me, it's significant he did it in New York. He had a Class A driver's license in Florida, which means he could drive transport trucks. And presumably, he was driving transport trucks from Florida. So he could have done this in Florida. But no, the choice was to do it at New York. To get the biggest and very bank close the to um, the World Trade Center, the yeah. former World Trade Center towers, and and New York City is better equipped than any city in the world for counterterrorism for dealing with and responding to these things. So um, that's the flagship for them uh, getting this shot in. Do you think? Uh, I mean, the governor just said that every indication so far is that this is a so-called lone wolf attack. Are they being a little too quick to say that? Well, some will say, and I've heard other people say that, yes, there's no way you could know that right away so quickly without knowing all of his background. But as I always say, when you see these, there is no such thing as a lone wolf. He's part of a pack, whether the pack is with them or not. You know, he's doing it. Uh, He's doing the ISIS stuff. He's doing the Alu Akbar. Uh, Everything he's doing is right along the lines of what the pack does. So he's not doing it alone. He's mimicking. He's following. He's being coached. He's doing it for that reason. As far as I'm concerned, they can be on their own doing it, but they're not on their own. They're doing it with the whole background and the network and the support system that says this is the way to act. This is the thing to do. And I'll point out that one of the things we miss a lot in North America is that when they're radicalized this way, they want to die when they do this. They want to go down in a hail of bullets because their belief is that uh, basically earth is hell and you go to the next level by dying in the name, doing this for the name of Allah. Well, uh, that was what some of the commentary was saying, especially since uh, his his weapons weren't real. It was a paintball gun and and. A pellet, a pellet gun. gun. Yeah, but he did have, apparently, uh, now I know that there was at least one knife that was found in the bag that fell out of the truck after he struck the uh, uh, the school bus. And there was a report that there were other knives. Now, I haven't heard had that confirmed uh, in the truck because typically what we've seen them do is they get out of the truck and then they start stabbing people. But I'm going to suggest that he was probably a little bit dazed when he ran into that school bus. You can see the damage to the front of the vehicle there. I couldn't tell if the airbags went off or not, but he would have known it was over at that point for driving the truck and jumped out. And you could see him running around almost, you know, wildly. So I don't think he was in the brightest of uh, places after that accident. And um, what do you think that... uh investigators will be able to learn from him since he survived the attack? Well, apparently the, the report is NBC News is reporting that investigators have spoken to him and he's, uh, he's gleeful, he's boasting about the attack. He's very happy that he was able to kill eight people. He apparently made some comment about he didn't really want to run into the school bus. He didn't want to hurt kids, you know, very big of them. Yep. But he apparently is not answering any of their other questions on this. But I will say it's early time yet. I mean, they've got his homes, they know where his home is, they know where his, I assume they know where his wife and children are. I haven't heard that they've been taken into custody or arrested or investigated. I assume they have. have well, them. his children wouldn't be arrested. 
Oh, you bring yeah. him in, you talk to him. What yeah. is, you know, who does yeah. Daddy see? Right? Same yeah. thing. Anybody, you'll ask questions, mm-hmm. you'll look to find stuff out uh, for doing it. So they'll, they'll want to find that out. They'll want to find out from the wife. They'll want to look if there's any other travel. We've seen in the past where the wife or the girlfriend does the travel back to the uh, Middle East beforehand, a month or two before these acts take place. They'll look at that. They'll look at the places he lived in Cincinnati. They'll look at where he lived in Florida, what brought him back and forth. I understand they've interviewed... Uh, some people at the mosque that he attended, irregularly they're saying, but he was there, and some storefronts. So they're going to know more about this guy um, than he thinks they'll be able to find out. So I I think we're going to find out a lot more information about how the network works of radicalizing someone who's in North America. And I think you'll find that that's going to involve actual human elements here. That's my guess on that. Um, We've kind of been warned that uh, with the retreat of the so-called caliphate uh, in the Middle East, that that we should expect to see more terror attacks here well, and in Europe. Certainly we saw the one in Edmonton where we're very lucky that policeman, who, uh, who I think actually is Superman, who got hit and got knocked up in the air and came down fighting and tried to take out the terrorist in Edmonton. We were lucky that one wasn't as bad. That was a vehicle attack that was here. Uh, I think you certainly will see, with them not having their caliphate and the land to defend there, they're going to use their little underground network here and launch people off to try and keep it going in the news, to keep it romantic, to keep it look like they're winning victories and doing things. While at the same time, we heard the president of the U.S., you know, he called them losers. He wants to show these people as being losers. So it's not quite as romanticized for people if they look at going over and joining. So we'll find out about that. You know, supposedly we also had 60 people return from uh, Syria who were fighting over there back to Canada. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about that. These are people who presumably know how to fight or, or they're killing people and doing some things and they're back in Canada now. So we're going to have to look at how good we can do at doing the surveillance on how many people we consider to be suspects or dangerous in, in our respective countries. It takes a lot, lot of manpower to do that. What can, uh, what can we all do wherever we happen to be uh, just to try and stay safe? I mean, it's, you know, if you're on a bike path and a truck comes barreling through, there isn't a lot you can do, but... But um, I guess part of it, it would start with just being a little, maybe a little more aware of our surroundings than we normally are going about our business. Yeah, well, you would hope uh, the same way everybody now should really have a fire plan for their own home, right? If something happens, you and the kids and all that, you tell them, okay, when the smoke alarm, we have to get out. You get out of the house any way you can. We meet by the big oak tree on the corner or something like that. We can count, make sure everybody's out. So you have a little fire plan for your house. You're going to have to come up with a uh, personal safety plan when you're going out to public areas and public places and events, concerts, uh, exhibitions, these bike paths, and you're going to have to know, okay, if we're going down here, what do we do if we see a problem? You want to respond right away, get behind uh, cover, as it's called, something solid so you can't be hit by the vehicle, you can't be hit by bullets, that sort of thing. You're going to have to have a plan and then a way of getting back in touch with each other. So it is going to take... The same way, you probably know this better than I do, over in Israel, you can't get off a bus and leave your backpack sitting on that no. bus. You're not, no. not going to get, your foot's not going to hit the asphalt on the outside if you try to do that. So we're going to have to start really, I guess, bringing up the education level of everybody here in, in Canada and North America. Okay, yeah, let's take a call from Frank in Toronto. Hi, Frank. Hi, good afternoon. Um, question I have, I read an article like on Italy, which has not been hit yet, and they have deported more 
uh, Islamic leaders and terrorists in any other country in Europe. Um, I wonder if we're doing something that we should be doing something they are doing. Um, can you comment on that? Well, there's questions raised by that because you see, as you mentioned, that's happening in Italy because they're taking very proactive actions. You'll hear that in Japan they don't allow you to uh, set up anything like this. There's no Islamist immigration into Japan and things like that. So, well, there, uh, I don't think there's much immigration of any kind into yeah. Japan. You know, and if, if you're if you're Korean, you're pretty well a second class citizen. So, right, but but I, I guess the point being that the issue here is the missile is the person that ISIS uses. Right, we're talking about Kim Jong right. and his missiles for launching yeah. his uh, nuclear weapons. He has an actual missile. In this case, the people are the missiles. If you never let the people land on your property, you're not going to have the problem of them being able to do something to you. So that is certainly one of the things... There are no Islamic ghettos there in Italy either, like compared to some of the other countries like France and that, you know. So uh, I think they could be doing something better than we are. Or maybe they're they're integrating the people they have better. Perhaps. I don't know. I'm, you know... Maybe that's giving too much credit. Well, the, the, I, I really well, the question know. is really, to some degree, how do you integrate people who aren't really interested in integrating, right? It's, I mean, I think, I think that's part of the problem. The, the, right. the, anywhere you look in the history of, of, of Islam, wherever it is, there's always a problem between the religion and the political. Any country that's kind of has the religion and the political at the top, there's always turmoil going back and forth. Because you can't really isolate the two. You know, one goes into the other. They want the laws to follow their religion and, they, you know, their religion should be the law and you can't. So it's a very complicated question if you're going to integrate cultures that there has to be a way of integrating them. I mean, that, I think that's part of the trick here. We're going to have to all overcome. Right. Okay, okay. Frank, thanks for your Thank call. You. Thank you. Okay, uh, we're just about uh, out of time on this one. Uh, Ross, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I think let's keep our eye on this. Let's see what develops. I think we're going to hear more information uh, pretty soon about it. And we have to look at what our RCMP is doing here and how we're going to work together to manage this. I mean, uh, I was actually glad to see that this person wasn't from Canada. We did have that one terror attack a while back where the Quebecer went down to Michigan there and shot yeah. a policeman in the airport. So uh, it's going to impact us. North America, the world's all in this together, and we're going to have to find a way to uh, put an end to this. Okay. Ross McLean, thanks so much for your insight on this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Libby. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, uh, another uh, very disturbing story, and that is that huge pileup on the 400. And uh, at this point, uh, we've been reporting two dead, but at this point, there are at least three dead in that crash. Uh, And um, Ontario Safety League is calling for a coroner's inquest, and we're going to be talking about that. Before we go to the break, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we will be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.